In the book, Tip Lewis and His Lamp, the character Tip, his whole identity is wrapped up in his terrible behavior, right? And he's known throughout town as this like thief and a hellion, a a, a kid that would never amount to much or not come to a good end and that kind of thing. And he is perfectly satisfied with this because it means nobody chases him down to get him into school. Nobody, you know, expects any responsibility from him in relationship with others and all that kind of stuff. But one day he attends Sunday school for some strange reason and he hears the gospel for the very first time. And he realizes that Jesus loves people just like him. And in his journey of faith, he starts to understand and realize his identity in Christ which transforms him into this like most respected young man in town, the, the very opposite of what he was considered before. Now, if you've ever witnessed the change wrought in a person after a saving encounter with Jesus Christ, I, I don't think that you can be anything but amazed at that change, myself included, right? But you don't have to be a total social reprobate to experience that change and experience that new life. Seemingly very good people every day come to realize their need for salvation as well. Because sin, that thing which separates us from a holy God, is a condition of the heart, right? It is, it is not only shown in overtly wrong behavior, that's not really the only thing it's shown in, it is a spiritual malady, it is a spiritual condition. It's a condition of the soul. Sin as as a condition leads sometimes to sinful behavior, you know, subtly in some people, or maybe just internally, but very overtly in others, which is why it doesn't really matter how good you are. (laughs) It doesn't matter at all how good you are, how how good of a life you've ever lived. Sin must be addressed in all of us. And I don't say that as a condemnation thing. I say that as a freeing thing, Right? But mankind was made to be in relationship with God, right? He really was. You know, yet because of sin, we know that our original purpose and our original identity had been lost. Our purpose being to enjoy God, to worship God, to steward his creation. Our, you know, our identity being image bearers, reflecting his loving great attributes to the world in peaceful relationship with others. The original picture of mankind in the Garden of Eden was one of peace and tranquility and relationship with God and each other, right? As he walked among us. So life and goodness and and love and intimacy and fidelity and things like that were all at the heart of that relationship. What everybody really does long for right now, even if they don't realize it, it is what we used to say, the the God-shaped hole in all of us, right? Healthy relationship with God and with others, all as it should be, until sin was birthed into the world. I want you to picture a hot day, and you're sitting poolside, and you've got a tall glass of ice water next to you, and it's really, the heat is beating down on you, and that thing is going to be refreshing when you pour it down your throat, right? But somebody comes along and they spit in the glass, right? Ugh, right? You wouldn't drink it. You couldn't purify it, right? You can't purify that water in that glass. 
It's only good now to be thrown out. So you have to throw it out, pour it out, wash the glass thoroughly, right? And then, you know, re-pour it. That's all you could do. Um, Sin has done that in us. That's what it's done in us. It's polluted us beyond repair. We cannot purify ourselves. We can't pour out our soul and refill it. That's just an impossibility, isn't it? Thomas Merton said, sin strikes at the very depth of our personality. It destroys the one reality on which our our true character, identity, and happiness depend. Our fundamental orientation to God. We are created to, be, to, to, to will what God wills, to know what he knows, to love what he loves. Sin is to love what God does not, or sin is to love what he does not love. Therefore, every sin is a sin against truth, a sin against obedience, and against love. But in all these three things, sin produces, uh, proves itself to be a supreme injustice, not only against God, but above all, against ourselves. I think that's true. When we look at it, mankind has self-destructed, right? If we don't see that with the, in the world we live in, we're just in denial. You can't blame Satan. You can't blame God. We chose to turn our back on that one best thing for us, our creator, our loving creator. No longer to live out of the freedom of our true purpose and identity. Sin's the spit in the glass. It really is. But we sit here this morning knowing that Easter is the good news. That is what the gospel is, the good news of the the Lord, right? That, That it is the reversal of order. Turn with me to page 790 in your pew Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Page 790, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Not your typical uh, Easter passage. I know that every pastor struggles with holidays because they're like, I've preached this so many times. Like, how do I say this fresh, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, this is what I'm doing. But anyway, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. It starts like this. Uh, and keep your Bibles open because I'm going to read it piecemeal. Uh, it says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so today, the world over, Christians proclaim Christ is risen, right? Christ the Lord is risen. That's the rallying call, that that Christ's death and resurrection frees us from sin and condemnation, that we are called into this freedom to live in the light of his resurrection glory. And we know that his resurrection brings salvation to us. In Christ, salvation comes and humanity is restored in him, which brings all-surpassing hope. So today, I ask you to live in the hope of resurrection. I ask you to make that choice, even if you don't feel like it. Make that choice to live in the hope of the resurrection. Proclaim to yourself, Christ is risen. Proclaim to other people around you that Christ is risen today. Allow him the time, the ability to restore your soul in salvation. It continues, verse 16 So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. 
We do so no longer. Therefore, and this is the good news, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here, right? Christ renews us. That's what the gospel tells us. He refills the glass. He adjusts our worldview. We are more than just bodies running around knocking into each other. We are physical image bearers of God. Spiritual beings that have been animated in physical form. And there's more to life than this rat race and this death and all this stuff around us. Eternal life beyond all, li- all this. Like Francis Chan uses, uh, and I bring it up often, this eternal, long eternal rope. And there's like one inch that's painted red and that's our life here right now. Just that one little inch. And wisdom considers where does the rope end? Where does it go? You got to think about that. And we go back to early Genesis, the creation account, and we see that God deemed all creation good. And not only that, he said that we, humanity, people, you, me, everybody in this room, and everybody out there, we're very good. Unfortunately, that image was shattered like a mirror. And the shards still reveal a remnant of the image of God in us, but it is broken nonetheless. And the Easter message is that in Christ, the mirror is restored. And it continues, verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So sin breaks this relationship with God. God and sin cannot coexist. They are like oil and water. They are incompatible. Two weeks ago, we outlined the gospel, starting with Romans 3.23, and I want to, at the risk of boring some of you who were here for that, I want to go through it a little bit again. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if you've ever hated somebody in your heart or looked at someone lustfully or lied, even in a small way, and I could continue with a million different little things, these are all in the category of sin which separate us from a holy God. It is the spit in the glass, right? And we only need look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 to, to know that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's not a horrible thing to say. It's just a truthful statement. It's not a judgmental thing for me to say either. It's just a truthful statement. Maturity acknowledges what we are, right? But we tend to look at sin as if we're looking at a skyline, right? And we look at all the different heights of the buildings. And I look at the skyline and think, well, if my sin is shorter than yours, then I feel pretty good about myself. At least I'm not like you, right? (laughs) We always do that. But God looks down on the city, doesn't he? 
And he doesn't look from the side. And, you know, it, it, all sin is equal in his eyes, and all sin has the same result. Which brings us to Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the good news of Easter is the resurrection of Christ does the opposite, promising restoration of relationship with God. In Christ, God restores that cool drink. He, it, he, he pours out that polluted water. He washes the glass and he refills it with water pure and new. And Acts 10.45 says, the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out to anyone that has received Christ. Romans 5.5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, the seal of our relationship. 1 Timothy 1.14 says, the grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly, right? Not just a little bit. He didn't dribble it on me. He poured it out on me along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. According to Tim Keller, the resurrection promises us more than consolation for the suffering and death that we experience in this world. It promises us restoration. Now think about that, and I think this next line that he says is true. The resurrection means nothing is truly lost. Nothing is truly lost. It will all be restored. And that is due to the second half of Romans 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, which leads us to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ was the only human perfect in holiness. The only one to walk this earth without ever sinning. The only one able to make the prescribed sacrifice of death to benefit anyone that would accept him as Savior and Lord. How can that be bad news? How can that be judgmental? It's not at all. And this is because God is just, right? Things have to be paid for. The sin which brings death and destruction in us must be killed off in us. Therefore, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus, the only one who can clean the glass and refill it and make us new which all ends in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Not the result of work so that no one can boast, right? And that reiterates the first point, doesn't it? That we can't live a good enough life. It's an impossibility. We can't clean our own glass. We, but Jesus can, right? He, he can do it, and his, and his work on, on our behalf is a total and free gift. Finally, we get to Romans 10, 9 and 10, which tells us how to simply gain that relationship with God. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is that simple. That's it. For with the heart a person believes and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So I make a public confession that I identify with my, myself with Christ. I believed 
that he raised, God raised him from the dead for my sake. That is powerful stuff. And thanks to Easter, faith and salvation are a free gift of God, a work of God in us, for us, to us, right? And so what we find out is that Christ, in Christ we are given what we do not deserve, and that is eternal life and reconciliation and restoration for eternity. The rope goes out the door and it never ends. In order not to be given what we do deserve, and that is death. Because even in small ways, my small sins are destructive. And it has to be paid for. And that produces in me a heart, you know, that, that it transforms my heart. It makes me grateful, right? It fills me with gratitude. It redefines my, my purpose and my direction in life. It redefines how I treat you, which I don't always do well. Except for I'm perfect with my wife. Ask her. I'm probably the best husband out there. No, I'm just kidding. But the end result of Jesus' sacrifice for us is stated in Jude verse 24, because there's only one chapter, where it says, he is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Our passage today, 2 Corinthians 5.21, says it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, in him we might become rightly related once more with the God of the universe. Now we know that the ceremonial sacrifices of the Old Testament were all foreshadowing Jesus. If you've been around church and you've heard those stories, you know some of them, right? And they're all foreshadowing Christ, what Christ did on the cross. We know that once a year the great high priest would enter into the most inner sanctum of the temple of God to make sacrifice for the sin of Israel, right? That, that back room, that, that most holy place, the place where the presence of God uh, resided. And there in that room by himself, once a year, only once a year, he would sprinkle the blood of a perfect sacrificial lamb on the mercy seat on the altar of God in that temple. He'd make atonement for his sin before doing so at the risk of him dying in the presence of God. As a matter of fact, they, he would enter with a rope tied around his ankle so that if he didn't do that well enough and he died in there, they could drag him out. Shows you how incompatible sin is with the holy God. The mercy seat covered the Ark of the Covenant and it had two angelic cherubim overshadowing it. You can see it in the picture, I hope. Right? And the ark housed the Ten Commandments of God as written in Exodus chapter 20. And it is simply our moral measuring stick. It's, it's that which brings conviction of our sin in our lives. It's that which reveals sin in us. It's that which reveals God's standard. And it's not a heavy, horrifying thing. The law of God is a blessing. Since if you need salvation, then you need to know what you're being saved from. Right? You need to know that. So it's a blessing to know it. It's a blessing to be told it. 
And the events of, of the cross and the resurrection come at Passover, which commemorates the Israelites' freedom from slavery in Egypt. We remember that when God sent ten plagues on, on Pharaoh, and the tenth being the death of every firstborn son and every firstborn animal. And we remember from last week how the Israelites were to paint the doorposts of their lint, uh, the doorposts and the lintels of their homes with the blood of, the, of a of a lamb, right, a perfect lamb, which they had they had sacrificed in order to save them. And, and when the angel of death came through the city, he passed over those houses that had that on their doorposts. And they were freed. No one died in that house. Again, foreshadowing of Christ. Foreshadowing of Jesus' coming. And he becomes the final perfect sacrificial lamb for us. His blood shed for the sin of the world on the mercy seat of God. The blood on the doorposts and the lintels of our homes allowing the judgment of God to pass over us and not to touch us. Which enables us to boldly enter into God's presence now. Right? Amen. John 20, by the way, outlines this discovery of the temple or the tomb, the empty tomb at Easter. And it says this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And what did she see? She saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, one at the foot. So that burial slab is there, and these two angels are sitting there on on both ends of it. So notice what she's seeing. She is seeing a living replica of the Ark of the Covenant with the two cherubim at either end, symbolizing that Christ as the perfect sacrificial lamb of God, right? The stone rolled away, and now we can enter into his presence. And we remember what happened to the veil. We just sang it a little while ago, to the veil in the temple when he was crucified, the veil which closes off the inner sanctum of the temple, the holy of holies, that most holy place where God's presence resided, right? It was ripped from top to bottom, when Christ was crucified, opening up the way to God. Now, I want you to know that that veil was made of fine linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarn. It was 60 feet tall, it was 30 feet wide, and it was four inches thick. It took 300 men to carry it and to put it into place. The ripping of that veil which no human being could ever do, even those 300 men, if they got 150 on each side and started yanking at it, they could not tear that apart. It's an impossibility. But that symbolized Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to restore our relationship with God. Now we can go into the Holy of Holies. We, every single person, regular person, can walk in and experience the presence of God, which is why Hebrews 4.16 says that because of Jesus, we can approach God's throne with grace, of grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. I want you to think of your book, your life as a book. You got your record. This is your life record, right? And it's filled with everything you've ever said, done, thought. All, all of you is in here, right? This is your record in here. And it's filled with all that stuff. Some of this stuff you would not want anybody to read, right? 
those secret thoughts that you've had or, you know, those things that you've done that you don't want anybody to know about, they're all in here. Those things that might bring you shame if you ever revealed to anybody, they're all in here. That's your record. And you think about Christ's record and everything that he said and did and thought and everything else is all in here. Not a mistake. Not a one of them. It's an open book. Anybody could read it. And there's nothing shameful in there. What Christ did on the cross was he exchanged the covers. He took my record and he put it, he put his cover on it. That's what he did. Now, in Christ, God looks at me and he sees Jesus. He sees his perfect record. He takes on your sin. As 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. This, my friends, is a big deal. And it's a wonderful thing to know. He dies in your place. He takes on your punishment. And as a result, you're covered with his blood and and his righteousness, his perfect record, making you presentable before a holy God of the universe, reconciled with a holy God. Your sin's been atoned for in Christ. That is the good news of, of Easter morning. The death of Christ on the cross won humanity our salvation. In him, we are dead to sin and we are raised to life in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come because it didn't end at the cross, right? Friday was a solemn service, but today is not. Easter came three days later. The resurrection is the completion of the story of the cross. Amen to that. If you read your bulletin on Friday night, it said this, Good Friday commemorates the crucifixion and death of Jesus at Calvary. It also, it's also known as Holy Friday, Great Friday, Sorrowful Friday, or Black Friday. Those last two terms outline the weightiness of the crucifixion account. But whereas the cross is a sign of death and sacrifice, the empty tomb is an invitation to new life. He died for a reason. He rose for a reason. The whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation is all about this. As a matter of fact, this is the true reality we live in. Not all the garbage you're told out there. This is the true reality from which we live. And everybody will know it one day. The rat race, the war, the tears, the suffering, the death, all that are only temporary. Thanks to the cross and the resurrection of Christ, all good things will be restored. That is the plan of God. We no longer regard anyone in a worldly way. We are spiritual beings, animated in physical form, created for and by a good God who loves us and makes way for reconciliation by his own sacrifice. You couldn't have a better God than that. When we accept Christ's death and resurrection as sinners needing salvation, only then can we become children of God. And when we become children of God, we are given a new name and a new identity, and Jesus himself speaks that identity over us. He determines who and what we are. 
our new identities are to be so caught up in Christ that we're now, like Romans 8, 17 says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, we inherit all that God had originally intended for humanity and for creation. Christ the Lord is risen. Amen to that. Christ's death and resurrection frees us from our sin and from condemnation. And we're called into this freedom to live in light of his resurrection glory. That's appropriate. Just coming to the end, that's nice. Christ's resurrection brings salvation to us. In Christ, salvation comes and humanity is a, a, human identity is restored in him, bringing all surpassing hope. Live in the hope of the resurrection. Proclaim Christ is risen today and allow him to restore your soul and pour life back into you. Be about this ministry of reconciliation, the retelling of this great story to anybody that would listen to you. Take the time to give the story out. And if you don't know him yet, it's easy. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to do anything else other than that. That's it. So do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead for your sake? Will you confess with your mouth right now, Jesus is Lord? Would you stand up and say that with me? He is risen, Jesus is Lord. Can you say that out loud? He is risen, Jesus is Lord. Amen, I'd love to hear that from you guys. Ah, let's worship. Where's, where's Natalie? I'll pray this out. Father, I thank you, I get so excited. I do get so excited. This is not, this is not a dead story. This is not an ancient tale, a myth from past years, from centuries past. This is not something that you know, has been proven to be wrong or not really true. As a matter of fact, your word stands up on, under the worst of scrutiny these days. Your story is real. This is the reality we live under. And we do know that you're bringing all things back to what you had originally intended it to be. So we look forward to our, hope, our future with hope. We are courageous people that face all that we have to face in the hope of the gospel. And we thank you that on this day, thousands of years ago, you rose from that grave, that the stone rolled away, that the two angels sat there, and that you rose and you walked among us again. And that that means something. And we ask that it would mean something to us this morning, that we would leave here with a spring in our step, with a twinkle in our eye, and with a message on our lips for the other people around us. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.